0: Today's Tailwind, Tip of the Trail, is brought to you by Eric Strand. Eric Strand uh, has been a nation member for, I would almost say, from the very beginning.
1: Like one of the founding fathers. Skip. Yeah,
0: I, I see his name all over the place, uh, you know, commenting, and, and so we, we just happened to were able to catch him and, in a good time frame, and so he's joined us. Now, Eric is not a newbie to the trail running scene. In fact, no. the last two years he has run the, the very difficult Leadville trail 100 and finished, uh, both times. So he's a, a double buckle owner of the Leadville trail 100. So Eric, what is your golden nugget tip of the trail for us?
2: All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share with the tribe. All runners know that one of the most important relationships in running is between you and your shoes But even in the best of relationships, there can be sometimes some friction, and friction between your shoes and your toes means blisters. So here's my tip of the trail. If you love your running shoes, but they're rubbing your toes the wrong way, you might be able to salvage that relationship by taking a sharp knife to your shoes. Ooh, yeah, I would not recommend this approach to improving your non-apparel-related relationships. Uh, and I'd also recommend that your foot not be in the shoe when you do this. Ooh, good oh, good point, good point, because yeah. I was
1: a bit concerned about that.
2: Yeah, but I have found that surgical removal of the toe box can lead to happy feet with no loss in integrity of shoe performance.
1: Okay, now let, so you've actually tried this in time of crisis or out of time of experimentation?
2: Well, uh, uh probably a little bit of both. In 2012, I got to about mile 70 at the Leadville 100 and the bottoms of my feet were just killing me. And I decided then if I was ever going to do this again, I needed better cushioning. So uh, I went out and bought an expensive pair of Hoka's and uh, loved the cushioning. But at about mile 30, I was getting these hot spots on my toes. And so I had this issue here is what am I going to do? I can't make it 100 miles with these shoes. I'm going to blister up real bad. So I reached out some, uh, to some other ultra runners, and they suggested that shoes should be modified just like cars should be tuned. And this was actually Joe Fedges, who has uh, run, I think it was like 320 miles over the course of 72 hours. Hmm. So a few days before Leadville, I took a box cutter and removed the toe boxes on this pair of $170 shoes, <laughs> posted some photos. People were horrified. Mm-hmm. But I learned I a saw, good I, I
0: saw those photos.
2: yeah. Uh, but I learned that when your toes are rubbing against the sky versus the inside of your shoe, you're never going to have a problem with blisters <laughs> or hot spots. So it works great. So,
3: so does that mean that Scott should cut out the heel of his shoes?
0: Ooh, good <laughs> oh. point. That's where his blister problems are. That's his for, function, the, pr- the problem is, is I'd have to cut out They're the like bottom, sandals. the bottom heel, <laughs> and uh, that that would uh, put my heel in direct contact with the trail, which probably would not. Minimalist be Minimalist runner. <laughs> yeah. That'll so, be the so next you. Tempo. So, so Eric, you ran the entire this year at uh, Leadville. You ran the entire thing, the entire 100 miles with the the top of the shoe, the toe area cut out.
2: I actually ran with them for the final 40 miles. I switched shoes uh, right at uh, Twin Lakes, and so I went through the night through some pretty gnarly trail, Colorado Trail, and uh, so it was a little over 40 miles with those.
0: And and it was a success. Yeah, no, no blisters. problems.
2: People thought I would be uh, using them like big old scoop shovels out there, but (laughs) I had one rock pop in and out, and that was the only problem I had.
1: Well, I mean, I have one rock at least in in those distances, and I have to take my shoe off to get it out, so maybe you do have an uh, the answer you can just kick
3: Don. it <laughs> isn't that your pet rock friend we've <laughs> yeah. talked about this in yeah. our like first episode yeah
0: yeah you yeah. need to name that rock <laughs> well eric thank you very much for your uh tailwind tip of the trail Um uh, make sure you go out and check out tailwindnutrition.com they are on twitter at uh go and uh on facebook of course they have some really tasty uh savory type drinks out there that will uh Give you the hydration and also the electrolytes and also the, nutri- the the calories that you need so you can run all day. Um, so go out and run. Class. And this episode is brought to you in part by Audible. And today's recommended Audible download is is has nothing to do with running what scott this is trail runner nation it is but has to do with the trail it has to no has nothing nation. to do with the trail <laughs> it has nothing to do with the nation all right this is just a a fun uh series of book by daniel silva and i personally have you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me here I have 13 of these books downloaded.
1: All right. Well, th- that, and that makes have, me think they must be good, Scott. They're very good. Um, I'm going to give you—if you
0: if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash TRN and you do a search for your free book, just type in Daniel Silva, all of these books are going to
1: uh, pop up. Um, Can I ask you a question, yeah. Scott? Why do you have 13? Why do you like these so much— you, you got to sell me a little bit here. Well, it's about a it's about a secret agent named Gabriel
0: Elan. He's uh-huh. an Israeli um, spy, and he's also a a painting restoration guy. That's his undercover thing. Well, and he just he it, it's just these stories that are captivating. It, 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 the the chapters end with cliffhangers, and it just keeps you. The reason why these are good for running, Don, why is that? Is because when you finish your run. You're so intrigued and in wanting to know what's going to happen next that you may actually continue running or it gets you up the next morning because you want to find out what's what's going to happen ah, next. So,
1: so you use it as, as a tool to stay motivated. It is. Very good. And and, right. and each
0: of these books is anywhere between, boy, I'm looking at some of the, the durations here, 10 to 18 hours. Wow. Okay. So these books can keep you uh, uh, enthralled for many, many trail hours. Is that
1: why when we're running together, there's times you just don't talk to me? It could be.
0: That's <laughs> usually when I'm behind you and I plug in my earphone and I, uh, see. I don't I don't listen to you. <laughs> well, now I know. So go grab one of these books for your first free download at
1: audiblepodcast.com slash TRN. And listen to this... What's this gentleman's name? Daniel Silva is the author. Moss.
0: The Petzl Trail Strategy today is brought to you by Coach Sally McRae. Sally, what do you got for us?
4: Hello, friends.
0: <laughs> <Well>? Hello. <laughs> Hello, friend.
4: Hello, friend. Because well,
0: we know you don't have any enemies.
4: of <laughs> You're going to edit oh, that, that out, right? No. Nope.
0: Because nope. that's
3: a lie. <laughs> Oh, let's, we'll edit that
1: part out. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's list your enemies. Let's start. Let's start just alphabetical and, and start with the letter A. <laughs> What's your tip for us?
4: Well, the tip has to do with the season and getting sick. This is the time of year that a lot of us are getting sick. The flu's going around. Bronchitis, strep throat, all that fun stuff. So, when and how do you train through a sickness, or when should you be taking that day off and all that good stuff? Um, So how how can I tell when I get up in the morning and I'm not feeling too hot, should I go train or should I stay in bed? And my recommendation to that is, you know, obviously we want to be good in feeling out our own body and knowing when it is that we need rest, not pushing ourselves. But you have a race coming up and, you know, you're feeling okay and maybe you got, you know, a little bit of a runny nose if you're if you look at your training plan for the week and you know you have a couple more intense runs I'd say that if you have a little bit of a cold and you go out for an intense run you are gonna maybe like an interval run or something like that you will be full-blown sick after that so the more intensity you add into your training and while you are sick it's just going to worsen the effect so Be wise in your training. If you need to keep on running, then just take the intensity down. Maybe do a very easy aerobic workout or even go at a recovery pace if you just feel like shaking out the legs. But be wise and uh, drink your water, eat your veggies, listen to your body because you want to keep on running Moss.
3: Now go out and sleep.
4: Moss. Sleep (laughs) and sleep Moss. Moss.
0: Are we recording? I'm, I'm stretching my groin.
3: I'm not nervous. I got this. Let's just do it.
2: Ashley, were you expecting a professional podcast?
5: No, I wasn't. Apparently not. Sorry, guys.
0: Let's get it rolling.
1: Welcome to another edition of Trail Runner Nation. I'm Don Freeman.
3: I'm Faith Goss.
1: And I'm Scott War. And today we have none other than Ian Torrance with us. And we are definitely psyched about this because we have a lot to talk about. Ian, as you know, is a, is a staple in the trail community. Not only does he run races, and he runs a lot of them, 176 total races with over 51 victories. So he spends a lot of time in the front of the pack. He's also a race director, a coach, and runs for Adidas. So if you want to know something about ultra running, this is not a bad guy to connect with. So we're happy to have you here, Ian.
5: Thanks, guys. Good to be here.
1: So one of the topics that we, we'll, I'll kick it off. How, kick it how about,
0: off. How about if I kick it off? You,
1: you know what we did, Scott? We, we we put the we put the topics on some dice. We rolled the dice in the Trail Runner Nation uh, dice section Rolling that we have place. here. And what rolled up? What rolled up, Scott? Winter running. Or winter running. So. so so my my
0: first question as we sat down here and we got Ian on the phone was, you know. How, why in the world would, would three people from California and a guy from Arizona be talking about winter running? And then Ian very quickly educated us. He's in Flagstaff, which is of much higher altitude, a little further north, and they get snow there, and it gets cold. So we feel that he is qualified to talk about uh, winter running. I am from a blustery, cold state of Wyoming, although I wasn't running when I was in Wyoming, but I know how to get out in the outdoors in the, in the snow. I haven't forgot Faith where, and I, we,
5: where in Wyoming are you from?
0: I am from uh, Casper, Wyoming.
3: Oh wow!
0: Yeah. Did what? you
3: know the friendly ghost? Uh, oh,
0: that's <laughs> hilarious.
3: I'm I'm sure you've never heard that one yeah. before.
0: <laughs> but but you know, in in the northern hemisphere, a lot of us are going out of this the fall running, and it's starting to get a little chilly. It's darker in the morning when we're running, or or in the night when we're running. The days are shorter. It's colder. And we thought it maybe be uh, a good idea to talk about what are some of the equipment and strategic moves that you need to change going into winter. So I'll throw it to you, Don. Oh, well, heck. What, what, what is one piece what? of equipment? One piece
1: of equipment. Let's go around the table. For
3: organization's sakes, why don't we start from the head down? It's what? easier that way.
1: <laughs> you know, Faith, you're always one to keep us organized. So, let, let, you know, when you said head, I thought, well, we should have our head guest. We should ha- let Ian take exactly. this off, right?
3: Exactly. You
1: can hear from me anytime. Um, so, Ian, starting from the head, because that's where we have to start. We're going to work our way down the body, according to Faith. Um, what, what what piece of gear do you add to your cranium on uh, cold days?
5: Uh, yes. Uh, and you, you touched on it with the... Uh, <laughs> The light issues, the the change in daylight, and I think um, a headlamp is probably the first thing you need, so so you can see where you're going, but also so other people can see you, you know, mm. over by a car
3: or something. Super important. So
1: so as days get shorter, there's just really no excuse. You strap on a headlamp, and I like where you were going with that, Ian, because I was I was thinking just trying to keep my body 98.6, but you're saying we still need the same miles. Let's put our let's put a small sun on our forehead and go running. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I think we need to qualify this because, I mean, in, in for example, Texas and, and Mississippi and Florida, this is their training season. So this, their, their temperatures are perfect for running, and they might not necessarily, you know, need to don all the winter gear that folks in the north do, but they still have to worry about the daylight hours. So I think That's good I think headlamp, headlamp is really the first thing everyone is
3: going to need. And for those in uh, in um, the northern states, like Washington, Wyoming, right? They wear headlamps earlier than we do because it stays, the, the sunrise comes out, right? Later there. So it's darker sure. in the morning as opposed to Central California, kind of where we are. Right. I don't have to wear a headlamp that early in the morning. I can go out at like, yeah, it gets light if by you like wake 6 a.m. If
0: you wake up at 8, Faith, don't wear a headlamp. That, that that that's not early
3: no i wake up at like four thirty to run
0: then so a i enjoy
3: well i made the point before the podcast started that i don't like winter running because i have to wake up earlier to run in the dark i like running in the dark because so people don't see me because i feel like i look ridiculous when i run so i have what? to wake up really early
5: I think there's some advantages to that. I also when I'm running in the dark, it feels like I'm going a lot faster than I really am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I I used I I still do. I call them free miles because if you're going to go out and run for four hours and you can catch the first hour and a half in the dark, it feels like it doesn't really exist. You don't see where you're going. Mm-hmm. You can't watch the scenery go by, and you feel like you're cheating cheating a little bit because you're really only running for you know two and a half hours or something in the light. So I call I said let's grab some free miles this morning.
5: I, I wish it was like that in a 100-mile race.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. When it's dark, it's like, it, it can get difficult. They can yeah. be pay,
0: pay hours. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Roy, what about you? You know, one of the things over the last probably year that I have really enjoyed is instead of wearing a hat, I wear... Uh, some people call them a balaclavas or like a buff. No one calls them that. They Baklava,
3: not balacava. <laughs> <What laughs>
0: from say? Wyoming. Baklava. Baklava. Well, in Wyoming, we call them balaclavas. Oh. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what it is, it's a buff, okay? It's a buff.
3: Don's I, losing I, it. I
0: think, I think Don may have a... a
1: I have a baklava in my head that's going off right now. Oh, Scott, that's good. So you wear you wear Ian, that.
0: T- Ian, I have to apologize right now for the the, the jokesters that I'm I'm working with. But no, uh, it, you know, it's it's basically a very thin uh, tube of material, so it's open ended, and so early in the morning when it's really cold, you can kind of tuck that in, so it is a closed hat, if you will. But when it starts getting uh, warmer. Or you start warming up, you can take that and wear it more like a headband, so that it lets off some of that steam. And I absolutely love them.
1: It's got a cool look. In fact, um, Noggin Wraps uh, is a is a brand that we uh, we've been familiar with that we like. That's uh, that has actually some Trail Runner Nation logos coming up on it for some fall gear review. Not gear review, but gear wearables. Now, me, we're still on the head, right, Faith? Yep, we're still on the head. I've got to tell you that if it's cold and I can keep my ears warm, I am one happy runner because you know just those bands that go over the ears i can tolerate quite a bit covering up my ears makes a big difference
3: do you ever get um ear aches when you run in the cold if your ears are not covered
1: i have not nope. I, i'll
3: i get like in like pain in the eardrum like early in the morning like if it's cold and i'm not color covering my ears yeah i've had like ear pain before
1: mm. when, when scott's running to my right i get a lot of right <laughs> yeah you know, sorry Scott.
0: so 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 ian when it's Cold and snowy in Flagstaff. What kind of uh, warm equipment do you wear on your head?
5: Yeah, it was. It, it's like a watch cap, like a, you know, just like a stocking cap, and I'll mm-hmm. wear that and, and move it up and down, as, you know, if I need to cover the ears or not. Um, we're kind of lucky in, in Arizona is we do get the the big storms that drop a lot of snow, but you know, if you wait a little bit. The clouds disappear and the sun comes out, and the sun in the winter here is, is very warm. And once mm. you get moving, it's it's really pleasurable. So, yeah, I, I can just take off the ball cap or the, sorry, the watch cap and um, keep moving or move it down, whatever. But, yeah, I don't really cover my entire face with baklava. But, um. <laughs> now,
0: um, you know, we're still on the head, right, Faith? Yes, I, wanna, head. Before, I still I still maintain I'm saying it right. What Google did I,
3: it. <laughs> running what, baklava. What,
0: it's not baklava. Mm-hmm. It's
1: balaclava.
3: Okay.
0: i right. I'm, I'm sure I'm right.
5: It's, it's winter mountaineering deer. They, exactly.
3: Yeah,
1: they use well, it for uh, climbing. Y- y- you know what? I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... Move right past that because I don't know which one it is, but I think it's funny that Scott says it like he's he's really twist his it's mouth when shirt. he says it here. Yeah. Um, well, so you talked about Ian. You talked about the sun coming out, and then I'm seeing the snow on the ground. Sun out. Something, and we're talking mm-hmm. about head. Where am I going, Faith? Goss.
4: Eye protection.
1: Not eye protection, oh. but that's a good place. I'm oh, talking yeah. about. I'm talking about just sunscreen.
4: Oh, you know, mm-hmm. as,
1: as ultra runners out there, we get a lot of exposure to sun and we need to be cognizant of that. We need to start, I need to start putting some sunscreen on my head and, mm-hmm. and saving my, my skin. I really got to do that. And that means wintertime too.
3: Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't have a specific sunscreen that I go to on the face. It's just kind of whatever's lying around. I throw on there, but I'm sure there's, I've heard that there's like endurance sunscreens out there. I just haven't
5: tried any of them.
1: How about you, Ian? Do you have any uh, special go-to that doesn't burn the eyes when you start to sweat?
5: Oh, no, I don't really have a problem with that. I just pick up like a sport, like a Coppertone Sport sunscreen, and I put that on. And I, I don't, I've never really had the burning of the eyes or anything like that. But
3: That's because Ian doesn't sweat. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't ever sweat. No, he just sparkles. No,
5: I, I'm like the worst. I'm like <laughs> a train wreck with sweat. <laughs> you know, I,
0: that actually brings up a very good point um, that I think we need to be wary of, and hydration. that is uh-huh. hydration. Oh, Hydration. The, in the wintertime, you're not sweating as much, mm-hmm. and because you don't have that sweat or you see as much sweat, I think that we can get uh, um, convinced that we don't have to be drinking as much, and I think that's uh, erroneous. We need to keep that hydration going in
3: case in point western states 2012
1: Oh, the cold cold morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. There was yeah. a lot of people coming up to Robinson Flat that did not anticipate the cold weather and people were getting slayed up there. Just really behind on because hydration, of- not taking s caps and people were falling apart in the canyons later. I'll drink
1: to that. How, how what, what do you think Ian what's your uh, what's your thought on cold weather running and hydration?
5: Oh, you got to do it. It's it's important. Um you know, I, it's hard to it's hard to strap on a bottle when when it's so cold, or hold it in your hand. Um, waist packs might be easier. Um, I have really bad hand issues, so I, I don't know if I have renounced or not, but man, my I've got to wear monster mitts to keep my fingers <laughs> from freezing. And when you when I put on if you strap anything to it, like a handball or something, that just aggravates the issue. Even a watch band at times can. Aggravate the the whole system, so. But yeah, you you just gotta you just gotta plan for it, and you have gotta continue the hydration regime as as if it was summer summertime.
1: Oh, ah, that's interesting. So if if you know that you you have a, a stretch to say eight miles long, and you're gonna do two bottles in in the heat, you recommend uh, the, the similar type of of uh, recipe, for lack of better words, because I don't have a word.
5: I- I think, again, I think it's going to depend on the individual um, and, uh, you know, your effort level. But um, it's not it's not bad practice, especially yeah. if you're practicing for an ultramarathon.
1: Good. All right. Are we ready to move? Uh, uh, are you more. still on sunglasses? What?
3: No, no. One <laughs> yeah. more quick tip before we get past the head, which this may not <laughs> apply to the guys, but you should try it. If you have bad circulation and your lips tend to get cold... If you wear chapstick, like a really heavy waxy chapstick, it keeps your lips from freezing. Just a little tidbit. You nice. learned it here first.
1: Yeah. What about you? Put some on your nose too.
3: I don't know. I've never tried that. <laughs> but I've noticed that my lips don't get as cold and like frozen when I wear a heavy chapstick.
1: Huh.
3: Might just be coincidence.
1: I don't know. I've, I've you know I don't even know where a tube of chapstick is in my.
3: You're a liar. <laughs> I know you <laughs> chapstick up all the time. <laughs> you like cherry chapstick.
1: Okay, so... Your wife told me. <laughs> we're moving down. Are, do you have anything else on the head you want to talk about, Ian?
2: Uh,
1: I'm good. All right. Head's good. Head's covered? Head's covered. Moving down. Faith, direct us to the next body part.
3: Mm, I think we covered the neck with the balakava. Okay. That can be... You can use the baklava for the neck. Okay. Um, t-shirt time?
1: Okay, let's go, let's go straight to the torso.
3: Okay, so I choose to run in a t-shirt and arm warmers, specifically my Runner Nation arm warmers, because uh-huh. they bring you superpowers. Yes, they do. But <laughs> I just think, uh, because you can always take layers off, but if you have a, a long sleeve shirt on, you're kind of stuck there, and you can get warm, right? Right. So I like to try to keep my core as warm as possible, so maybe like a t-shirt with a vest and arm warmers, but... I think arm warmers are better than long-sleeve shirts. That's just a personal preference.
1: I'm going to go with that. Ian, what about you?
5: Yeah, no, I, I, I'd i agree. Um, I think other people, um, again, I I think uh, running in the cold, different people react there differently. Um, mm-hmm. I know some people can run without shirts, and then other people need yeah. a down jacket while they're running. Um, but definitely the layer situation is important. So you can strip or... Add as need be depending on the conditions and the wind if the winds pick up and you're going to want some sort of windbreaker but if there's no wind sometimes that can be running in like a plastic bag and that's pretty miserable so <laughs> being able to to alternate and take stuff on and off is, is good and just being able to you know wrap it around your waist or if, if it packs it into like a little tiny sack you could do that and stow it in a pack or or
0: around your waist, or whatever, is good. You know, um, the, uh, the Patagonia. What is that? What is the that? Houdini? That's what the, you're trying the to. The Houdini it. jacket yeah. uh-huh. is is a, yeah. a nice wind jacket that packs into its own little pocket. That you know it's just light and and tiny. That you can just put in your your fanny pack. It's a. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question around to you guys or a, an idea um, that I've been thinking about. And it's not earth shattering. But when you start a run when it's colder outside, um, I usually try to start that run uncomfortably cold. Because I know within the first five or 10 minutes, my body temperature is going to rise and I'm going to be fine. You know, Don knows this. When it's, when it's cold in the morning, I go, oh, should I wear gloves? Oh, my hands are freezing. I, I, I really want to wear gloves. But you know, within 10 minutes, I'm going, I'm so glad I didn't wear gloves. So what what about you guys? Do you, do you guys prescribe to that um, theory?
3: Um, I have a pair of gloves that are, like, a combination between mittens and, like, the finger gloves. So they're kind of, like, cut off at the finger, and then mm-hmm. you just pull the mitten over it, which is nice because that gives you kind of oh. options. You can be, like, you can get hot and take it off or whatever. But sometimes, like, I'll just go out in the morning with just the... Um, the cotton gloves and yeah i take them off pretty quickly but then they just act as like a good balancing device between my hands because i can't i'm the kind of runner that i can't only have something in one hand i have it, but i don't know so
0: it, she's symmetrical Don. Yeah, yeah i'm
3: symmetrical so i like my gloves with the cutoffs but a good healthy alternative is the cotton gloves and then you can just use it as a snot rag
1: yeah practical she's practical mm-hmm.
5: Ian. well i i think i think that's a i think that's yeah, I think a lot of people do that. I do that. And I think that's great if you're running around the neighborhood, running around town. But if you're going out for four hours in the backcountry mm-hmm. and you start like that and you fall or twist an ankle or get lost, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I think it's always important that you have that extra clothes just in case. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's almost like the Trail Runner Nation uh, legal department, which we don't have, <laughs> sent a message over to Ian and said, "Come on, keep these guys straight. You know, let's let's not let them get out there and, and get hurt." Well, I, were you going to give your opinion? Yeah, well, I yeah, want to add something I, to that. Add something to my opinion you haven't heard yet? No. Okay. So like, here, here's what I think is is interesting <laughs> that happens. You can be out there with people that have run for a decade, two decades. And they'll all look over at one another and they go, what are you wearing? What, 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 what do you got on? Are you going to bring your gloves? And, you know, they've been running in the same trail, in the same loop, in the same month for years and years. But we all look towards one another. Are you going to wear gloves today? I don't know if I'm wearing gloves today. How many bottles are you bringing today? We all look at one another for a little bit of advice. Scott, what did you have?
0: I, I want to know, Ian, with, with being as, uh, as uh, experienced a runner as you, do you have people that are always looking to you to find out what you're wearing? so that they can sure. decide what they're going to wear?
5: Yeah, sure. And i might be the same, you know. But right. I'm always, if it's like the situation I was mentioning, like we're going out, um, doing something long and remote, then I will always err on caring more than. That's smart. I, and, and sometimes, and usually I don't need it, but it's, it's kind of my background. I, I did a lot of mountaineering, the winter mountaineering, there, the baklava. All that stuff is, you know, I, I did a lot of that before I did. I was more serious with running. I was more serious with mountaineering and kind of learned through that how to better prepare for going out in the woods. So I always Even, try to over-prepare and under-prepare.
3: For somebody that has a mountaineering background and certainly with the Renaud's phenomenon, do you take those hand warmer things, those packets that you shake? hate them. Really?
5: Yeah. And I know I know they, they work, but it's just, I. again, it comes down to preference and how much are you willing to carry. And I'd rather run in my monster mitts, which I seem to do fine in. Than, and I look ridiculous, but um, carry around hand warmers, and then I've got extra trash, and mm-hmm. great, I'll drop it on the trail and stuff. But, yeah, no, yeah. people use that and have great success with them. I, I just, I never have.
0: I'm going to have to look up what a monster mitt is. I, I'm picturing in my mind, Ian, that you're running you know, down the road with boxing gloves. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Pretty much. Now, I'm just <laughs> using that as a generic term. They're big, like, snowboarder gloves.
1: Oh,
0: like, okay.
5: This, like, I should be up on the slopes skiing with these <laughs> things. And, um, yeah, I mean, they look cumbersome. And I'm running around in, like, you know, a T-shirt, but I've got these big, Gloves on, so kind okay, of ridiculous, but I feel good. If you yeah. could
3: send a picture of those for the podcast,
2: <laughs> that'd be yes, great. Yeah, I can do
5: that. I'll go upstairs okay. and well, I haven't had to th- I haven't had to put them on yet this year, but I will. Um, yeah, and I think I got that condition. I have it with my feet too, just really bad. If I'm just standing around, I'm okay. If I'm running and active, but if I'm standing around, my feet will freeze as well. And I think i I had some bad experiences with. When I was mountaineering when I was younger, and I think um, I'm, you know, I think I've got some residual issues from from that.
0: I, I I grew up in the snow too, Ian, and and I think it's it's I don't know if I was ever my fingers or toes were frostbit, bit, uh, but they came pretty close, and I think that they just become yeah. more sensitive to the cold over yeah. the years. Um, yeah. I want to get back to one of the things you said to be over prepared. One of the things that I think is a good tip uh, when running in the cold or running in the winter is to make sure more than, more than even in the summer in the warmer weather that, uh, that you're, you're going with someone else that you're not going out there alone or at the very minimum that you're letting people know where you're going and when you expect to be back. Because if you are going out there and you're not dressed properly, you're in running gear and you have an accident and you, Sprain your ankle or something like that. You 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 need to make sure that people can find you.
1: All right, I, I'd like to. Thanks for that, Scott. Um, I, I, <laughs> that was very nice. I mean, I'm sorry, Scott, but that was a good 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 reminder. You know, I want to go back just for a second to the uh, um, boxing gloves. No, no, the um, trail. No, the sleeves. The, oh, uh, the arm warmers. Arm warmers. I have not worn a long sleeve shirt In since I have purchased yep. a set of those. There's just no way around it. You you keep your favorite short sleeve shirt, and then you have the flexibility of sleeves up and down, and they're tighter. They're right they're on your arms, and I like them. And I, you know, if you talk about golden nugget tips, I really you know I can't I can't state enough how much I like those arm warmers. So, I agree. I like them.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: All right, uh, Ian, are <laughs> yeah, you done you, with the tour? Go ahead. Yeah, no. You, and I was just going to add, you can get you can get the thin ones, and you can get some that are lined with fleece. There's a whole mm-hmm. options. It's pretty cool.
1: And people are wearing them in the in the heat too. We've you know heard from Jimmy Dean Freeman and, and a lot of these guys that are doing bad water that it is a strategy to, to keep the sun off your arms. And there's some for cooling, just like you said. Yeah, you put them in water. Put the fleece micro fleece ones in water. Yeah. So I think I think a good tool and and uh, ones they're becoming more and more popular. Okay, torso. Are we done with the torso. Ian, you you've you've uh, completed torso. Yes. All right. Shorts. Shorts. We're down. Skirts. Okay, so we're down, at, we're down at the pelvic region, so let's talk pelvis. Scott?
0: Um, you know, when I first started running, I, I did have some uh, running tights, although they weren't like Lycra tights. They were a little bit more baggy in that. I have not worn anything but shorts in probably the last five years. <laughs> I just don't like them. I like mm-hmm. shorts. Even if I'm freezing... Within a few minutes, like I was saying earlier, within a few minutes, uh, my my uh, radiator
1: gets going and I don't have a problem. Mm. Ian, we've seen you in some pretty crazy uh, colored <laughs> tights and some pictures.
5: Yeah, I, I think tights are really important when it gets cold. There, there's some tendons, ligaments, and and sinews down there in, in the knees and in the hips that can really benefit from that extra support and warmth. Um, that you can't really generate with body heat. You can't warm those things up. So blood flow is very poor to tendons and ligaments. That's also why it takes a long time for them to heal. And I think that covering those and protecting those are important when temperatures get in the free- freezing area.
1: You, you know, I, I'm with you on that, but I have a hard time in tights because there's some chafing issues that I just can't get around with those tights for whatever okay. reason.
5: So. So this, this is where I think fit is really important, and I think the material of the tight is also important. I think you should, you know, it, it, not everyone can go out and experiment um, at length with tights, but um, I, I think it's important that when it, it's cold that you're wearing some sort of boxer that has some sort of um, wind protection, for, especially for the gentlemen. They... Um, can freeze private parts and mm-hmm. oh extra extra I've done that if you've never done that that will make you put monster mitts on down there so, oh. uh,
1: <laughs> yeah I've gone to a party with a monster mitt on down there
5: <laughs> <laughs> no I, you, you know there's there's great underwear that can help prevent the ch- chafing as well um, but you know it's just it's an extra pair of um, clothing that you just have to prepare for maybe you just have to Put
1: a swipe of body glide, glide
5: on or something like that.
1: But yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, body glide, key. Key for all seasons. What about from faith, a faith is ready? What wo- woman's perspective? I know women She's like very tights. Very technical. She is leaning so, forward.
3: Yes. Okay. So it depends on the weather. If it's raining, you can find me either in a skirt or a dress. Dress? It's just, yeah. I have a. I have, you've seen my running dress. I right? did, yeah. Yeah, I look like Bam Bam. <laughs> That's my nickname on the trail and the winner's Bam Bam when I wear that. Anyways. Scott, can you
1: post a picture of Bam Bam? <laughs> I don't have face- one. Well, we'll I will find one. It's I want on my one.
3: Facebook. Anywho, so um, I like wearing skirts or dresses when it's raining because then you don't get that like soggy feeling of spandex clinging to your leg. It feels very uncomfortable to mm-hmm. me and I get chafing issues there. Yeah. Um, if it's cold out, I'll just wear capris. I have a pair of running tights that are like fleece lined, but maybe it's California. It doesn't get warm. It doesn't get cold enough to, um, to wear the fleece lined ones. I just end up overheating, but I'm an overheater. I think it's really dependent on your body temperature. If you're somebody that tends to run warm, then I think it'll be harder for you to wear fleece pants and a long sleeve shirt.
5: You might do better with the arm sleeves. Yeah. I, I, I think I still go back to the protection of the knees and the, and the ligaments and tendons and, and the calf and achilles you' um, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to lose more body heat out of your upper body than mm-hmm. out of your legs, mm-hmm. but dress dress less on top, but cover those those things that are important for for as a runner those those joints mm-hmm. and those ligaments that we use and are taking the pounding when it's freezing out those are going to gonna want to protect those so it's better to run without a shirt on I think but to run with tights on
0: you know one of the things that I do use even though I like shorts even in the cold is um uh the compression gear Mm -hmm. and I I'm still the jury's still out in my mind of whether compression gear really does what it's supposed to do but I do know that it keeps my legs warm at least up to my knee and so in the in the winter, I'll usually wear those more frequently than I do during the summer.
5: Yeah, I think if you like the feel and the fit of compression, then you should wear it. I, there's there hasn't been any studies saying it's bad for you. So
1: so so if we followed Faith's advice, and it turned out that for the guys, the best thing that we could ever run in would be. A, pair, a skort or something like that, would we make the switch? If we were promised just perfect comfort, a little bit faster, better, never chafing, anything, would we be bold enough? Absolutely. You would go skort. I, I, could, I could wear a kilt. Yeah? Ian? Yeah, sure, a kilt, I
5: can wear that. Max King, didn't he run a race with a skort on? <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm, you know, I think I remember seeing that image. There's
0: a lot of backpackers, like
1: uh, uh, serious backpackers, that wear, will wear kilts. Huh. All right. Well, I might try. Oh, there's Faith Goss right there in her Bam Bam outfit. We're gonna post that, no doubt. That looks good, Faith. <laughs> okay. So we we've covered pelvis. Uh, I think we've hit everything on that. Um, uh, packs. Can we talk about? Can we move from kind of pelvis torso just for a second and talk about uh, camelbacks or packs, and that hose that comes over the top? And if it's cold enough, you can end up with frozen, uh, frozen, frozen, frozen fuel. Um, yeah. What what do you do about that on your end, Ian?
5: Uh, we had that issue at State Coach this year. Um, oh. Well, I guess we're going to talk about that later, maybe. But oh yeah, um, but
1: you can you can tell us about this uh, the frozen line.
5: Yeah, we had we had several runners in between eight stations that had their their hoses freeze. So, um, and I guess the one or the two big ways to solve that is to have an insulated hose and or blow back into the pipe those. So, mm. So the fluid. So after you take a sip, you blow back, and so the all fluid goes back into the
0: bladder, so it's not in that hose freezing. I, I I can I can verify that as a, a skiing a lot when I was a kid and young adult. Um, uh, we started wearing um, hydration packs, camelbacks, real real thin ones, and uh, we would have the insulated tube hose, and then but the most. The most effective thing was just to, to blow back. You take a suck mm-hmm. and then blow it back in until
1: uh, you hear bubbles.
3: Mm-hmm. But then right. you're dealing with sloshing in the bladder.
1: Uh, nothing worse than running behind a slosher. I
3: hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot stand it. <laughs>
1: Good. All right. Um, I, I
0: have another uh, gear. Yep. Yeah. Um, what about shoes?
3: This, shoes?
0: We're down to the feet. Is uh, you know? Do people? I, I typically wear the same shoes that I normally wear, um, but I know that there's some Gore-Tex shoes out there. Mm-hmm. Good topic. Good topic. Fail. Gore-Tex? Mm-hmm. Yes or no, Faith?
3: No. Fail.
0: Ian, Gore-Tex I, shoes. I agree with. I
1: agree with Faith. it's like it's like running with a with a bucket. You just it water goes <laughs> may not come in, but once it goes in, it doesn't go out. Yeah, they don't drain, do they? Yeah, I've I've emptied them out, and a fish comes out. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So, 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 <laughs> so, treasure.
0: with with a lot of the shoes now, they're going to thinner and thinner, more porous material. Um, does that make your feet colder? And and I'll I'll address this to Ian because Ian said he has uh, a tendency to be have pretty cold feet. What do you do for footwear?
5: It, it stays the same. Socks stay the same. Footwear stays the same. Now, if I'm Running on snow or ice, which we do here in Flagstaff a lot, um, we we'll use yak tracks or ice spikes to uh, help with traction. But the shoes and the socks, that system stays the same all year round. Hmm.
0: You know, let's talk about that. What? Go. I can't remember what you just what they call them because we don't wear them up here. Goat. Ice tracks.
3: Oh, I, I, aren't they called goat tracks or something?
0: Well, like yeah. That? There's there's there's, there's spikes, Goat spikes. There's yak
5: yeah. Tracks, there's, yeah. Um, ice spikes. There's there's Several different companies that make um, and they,
0: and they and they 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 work pretty well.
5: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, some some are just basically they look like hex screws and you can screw them into the bottom of your shoe and they don't do any damage to the EVA foam and they don't come out they don't pop out or anything. So they're pretty small. It just depends on the what kind of conditions you're running in and then like yak tracks or micro spikes um, yak tracks with like crampons that's, you know, yeah. they're kind of rubber, hooked on rubber and they just kind of slide over the, the shoe. Um, yeah, the micro spikes are, are a little smaller version of that, I believe. I may so, I may have interversed the names, but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different systems for that.
0: So can you go down to the hardware store and get some hex screws that are like quarter inch hex screws and screw them into your shoes? Do you think that would work?
5: You can do that. That's the cheap way to do it. Uh, these ice bikes that that I use, they um, they they tend to stay in the foam better. I don't know the design's a little better, I think, and it okay. they don't pop out. I I have um, I used to run with the Skaggs brothers in Ashland, and they did the ice or the sorry the hex screw from the from the hardware store thing, and, and they were just popping out all the time, so. I think there's a different—I uh, think the, the product is, is more refined.
1: And, and I think it's a harder steel, so you don't wear through them so quick, too. I think there's a hardened quality to them. Definitely. Now, here's what I've experienced, because I've run up in the snow a bit in, in Lake Tahoe area, and I wore my Hoka's. As I was lifted up, well, number one, their, their foot, it's, it's, they have so, much, so many square inches on the bottom of those, it's like moon shoes, so you can stay on top like a snowshoe almost. You can stay on top of the snow. And, and then you're, you know, seven or eight inches off the, off the ground. <laughs> eight inches. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, you're staying away from that cold, cold snow that wraps around your foot on each step. So I thought the Hoka was a good uh, snow weather gear. This brought to you by Hoka. One
3: more. <laughs> it makes sense though i mean there's even if you look at them besides them being very like vertically challenged they're the base is wide like the footprint yeah. of that shoe is wide so it's like a it's i could see how it could be like a snowshoe because it's like a bigger surface area on the not to get technical, but uh, uh, I, I saw, technically speaking, I
1: saw a runner today, and she had a great set of Hoka's. they looked, they were they were purple, pink, looked stylish. And I thought they're not so clown shoe looking. These looked good. And she said, "I just got these at REI on the closeout." On somebody brought them back. She said, "I paid thirty five dollars no. for them. Yeah, th- and they were new." So thirty five dollar Hoka. I said, He's "Did they fit?" Hair. She said, "Well, I squeeze in them a little bit. Yeah, oh, <laughs> well, wow. you got to trade off a little bit. Yeah. Okay, that was just a little slide." Discussion. All right, where are we? Are we all done? I, I, with no that other I, stuff. Well, on, on gear, I have yeah. I have one
0: little topic, and then we can move on to the other uh, dice roll that we okay. had. Okay, good. Um, here's the big thing. You know, with the with the shorter days, it's colder outside. How do you motivate yourself in the winter to get out and run? Most of the races are over. Not all of them. Faith just said she's signing up for one this weekend because she has to run every weekend oh. and. Uh, but how how do you motivate yourself? What are some tricks mm. to get you out of bed when that comforter in your bed is nice and warm?
3: Set an alarm. That, um, go ahead, Ian.
5: Oh no! You, uh, well, I was gonna say you gotta you gotta meet a friend. Totally.
1: Yeah, that's the only way. Mm. I think
0: that I think that I
5: work all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So so I,
0: here's something that I heard. I've never tried this. Um, somebody was telling me, or I read somewhere, that one way that they... Helps them motivate to get out of bed is they throw their running gear in the in the dryer and warm it up real quick uh, hmm. before they yeah. put it on. <laughs> yeah, that would make
1: me get out of bed. Yeah, no. <laughs> there's that good warm, warm
0: uh, <laughs>
2: no
1: shorts I have.
2: Right. Well, you, you have to get out of bed to throw the stuff in the dryer.
0: Yeah, touche, <laughs> touche. <laughs> so okay, that would work. okay. I, I'm just throwing things out there. Yeah, yeah, I think no. that there's no
3: better way to get running than to shock the system first thing in the morning. I disagree right. with easing into it. The whole dryer thing. Come on, harden how, up! How, You're a trail how, runner.
0: How do you shock your system?
3: Get on run. I don't warm up my clothing. I don't sh- throw a flipping dryer sheet in there with it to make it smell good. <laughs> you just Ooh, go run. Thank God. faith
2: is <laughs> tough, isn't <laughs> she? Yeah. No, I, I see. Here's, here's
5: another thing you can try, and I don't think every not, not everyone has access to it, but um, I just got an indoor stationary bike, and I use it for cross training and stuff, and. You know, getting on that and doing five or ten minutes on that, and then stepping outside, Um, mm. it makes a world of difference too. It also okay. warms up the body and um gets you gets started.
3: Is that because the stationary bike is just so brutally boring? <laughs> so you're like, yes, I get to run now.
5: <laughs> exactly. You can, <laughs> you can look at it that way. Uh, I'll
1: tell you what's helped me in in the in the very very um, cold climate times is getting in a hot tub. We have a hot tub in in the backyard, and and if I can get in that and sit in that for five or ten minutes, I'm telling you, that stays with you for a long time. You stay warm. And the other thing that it does is it allows my truck, because
0: I'm sitting out waiting for Don in his driveway, for him to get out of the hot tub. Just ten minutes.
1: (laughs) It allows my truck to get warm. You can come in and join me, Scott, if you want. No. Oh, all right. Okay, so are we ready to... We're done with that. Ian, do you have any other uh, winter tips for us?
5: Uh, I think you guys covered it. <laughs> <laughs> we killed it. All Literally. right.
1: So the last time we spoke some time ago, we talked about you identifying or being put to the task of creating a new 100-mile race, and you, you, you even titled the podcast, which I thought was really motivating me me to talk about it. You said the birth of a hundred miler, because that really, it really did talk about from conception, from idea to, to putting it all together. And, and thinking through this, you know, there isn't a, there isn't a step-by-step instruction booklet out there for starting a, starting a, a trail running race or a race series or a hundred mile race. You don't, you don't get online on Craigslist or to Amazon and order your ready-made kit with you know, racing bibs and banquet tables and the whole thing, you really start from from start to finish and put things all together. So maybe you could share with us about your race and some of the things that you never thought you were going to be up against and and, and made it through. So tell us about your race, Ian.
5: Oh, okay. Well, um, Stagecoach Line 100 is the race from Flagstaff to – just outside the Grand Canyon. It finishes in the gateway community of Tucson, Arizona. Not mm-hmm. Tucson, but Tucson.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: It's basically when they drive through right before you get the entrance station, there's there's some fast food places, there's a lot of hotels right there, and that is the town. It's now incorporated town of Tucson. Um, and the it's the course that is unique. It follows the historic stagecoach line that Used to take tourists from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon before the train was built, before roads were built, hmm. they get in a stagecoach and they would ride for for like 12 to 17 hours, um, about 70 miles, 75 miles from Flag to Grandview Point, which is used to be well. There used to be a hotel at Grandview Point, so now it's just an overlook. Now everything's kind of moved um, west to. Grand Canyon Village where, where all the hotels and stuff is now and tourist areas now. Um, and, it, and it just so happens that the the Arizona Trail runs on the same route as well. So it tackles a lot of very cool things in, in, on the way. And um, it also crosses two national forests, the Coconino and the Kaibab National Forest. And also a long stretch of private land um, the Babbitt Ranch which is they're like 442 square miles of <laughs> private land between the the Coconino and Kaibab National Forest they're like one of the 25th one of the top five private landowners in the country so it's a big ranch they uh, there's um, they raise cattle and horse out there and they were many of the folks there are, are runners as well and they do the local flagstaff race series and stuff like that so this was kind of a huge um, it was supported by a lot of different organizations and, and folks so it was very easy to 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 light the fire so to speak and um, you had the Arizona Trail, you had Babbitt uh, Ranch um, and the National Forest were really supportive of the race and then so was the town of Tupiang because any sort of um, attention drawn to that town, they're, they're trying to grab. Unfortunately, most people just drive right through um, on the way to the canyon, and what they're doing is trying to make it a destination point. So this race helps with that as well. So it was really an outpouring of support from a lot of different, like I said, folks and organizations. So it was actually a very – relatively speaking, easy 100-mile event to, to get off the ground because of the amount of support. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, we, we, had, we didn't have a very big window this year to get it ready. I think we, we got the permit, or we, we didn't get the permit. We got approved to go ahead and take registration in July for an October event. So I, we didn't find out until July. We started the process in January. We didn't find out until July. We could go ahead and move forward, and then um, we actually didn't get our permit until our signed permit until five minutes before the the hundred miler started on wow. race day. How was
3: how was that for stress?
5: <laughs> Very stressful, and it wasn't because I didn't have the permit. It was it was all the shutdown. The government shutdown, um mm. killed us um, really. Mm, but Wednesday before the race I was trying I was out in Babbitt ranch trying to find an alternative 100 mile course for us to do because I didn't know if the government would open up or not so but you know it was it was it was great the The forest called me um, you know during those final days while they were closed to let me know that if the government did open you'd be able to have your event with or without a permit. So, mm. um, But if, if, a, if the government hadn't opened, I don't know what we would have done. I probably would have had a heart attack all down the <laughs> somewhere. But, um, anyway, it worked out. Um, and we had 26 starters in the 100-mile race. And along with that, we had um, four and six and eight-person relay teams. So, we we kind of like a, a mini Hood to Coast sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used the eight stations as relay exchanges at different points. So um, so it involved and it brought in more of the community because a lot of Flagstaff Flagstaff's a huge trail running community, but not everyone runs ultras. So um, the point was to bring everyone to the table, and it did that and it was a very, I mean, I knew most of the runners because they were all people that, you know, you see here in town, which was really cool. And, and the aid stations were staffed by these local organizations um, that support, you know, running and, and hold their own running events. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was a great community turnout and the support was huge. So, um, yeah, and because we were doing this, this race, fundraiser for the Arizona Trail Association. Um, we got cut a lot of deals. Um, other groups that you know do, do work for the Arizona Trail Association, like the Forest Service waived some of the permitting fees, things like that. It was really great to to have that as well.
1: Go ahead, where,
3: please. Where do you see this race kind of going in the next couple of years? Do you see it growing as a continuing event or...?
5: Absolutely. We've already um got dates for two thousand fourteen, it'll be at the end of September. Um worked with the Forest Service and we had some one of the issues I can since I r- remember right now, I'll just talk about it. one of the issues that we encountered that I didn't think would be an issue was elk hunting season. <laughs> A stretch of our course runs um, along a Forest Service road, um, just a mile and a half, but it seemed to be the mile and a half to be on if you were an elk hunter. And so um, <laughs> we had it was high traffic. Um, there were some hunter-runner interactions that weren't always pleasurable, and um, you know I think just different uses horse users were having. You know they felt that they're Runners felt that they were more important. Hunters felt they were more important, but, um, fact remains that I just wanted to change the date so we wouldn't have that issue. So that was one of the reasons to move back from the October date. Plus, um, and I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, the cold, um, September, or I'm sorry, the, the October temperatures were just brutal cold. We had some, some runners go hypothermic and, um, we got them rewarmed. No one had to go to a hospital or anything, and we got them going again. But it's definitely something that um, just adds to the difficulty. So moving moving forward to September will will help alleviate the hunting issue and the cold issue. So.
1: Ian, what what does the course look like? Is it a is, is it a the profile? Is it a flat course? Is it a, a mountain course? What what do, what? How much climbing and over the distance?
5: Oh, Carl Meltzer would definitely say that this was a racetrack. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it uh it has about seven thousand feet gain. So you you basically the longest, largest climb is is right after the start, and you climb up over the shoulder of Humphrey's Peak, which is the highest peak in Arizona, and then you gradually descend into the Abbott Ranch land, which is. High desert, it's kind of pinion juniper grassland. Um, and then and then you, you slowly, gradually work your way up to the south rim of the canyon, which is a very gradual, you don't even notice you're doing it really. Um, so it's not very hilly, but the terrain is good. The footing is good for the most part. Um, I think it just depends on your background. Some folks um, thought it was rocky in places, but... You know, relatively, you know, considering you're running 100 miles, um, rocks for five miles is too bad, I don't think. But, no. Um, yeah, and you're following the Arizona Trail the whole way. We do a couple detours to get on that little extra mileage and to see a little bit more territory. But essentially, if you go online and look at the Arizona Trail Association and, and go from Flagstaff to Tucson, that's the course.
3: So for people that, because, I mean, myself, I know Arizona as home to the Javelina 100. Um, For people that are familiar with that race, where is this race, first of all, in relation to that race, and terrain-wise, how does this race compare?
5: Okay, so Javelina's outside of Phoenix, just on the outskirts there in Fountain Hills. um, That is Sonoran Desert, so you've got cactus, you've got Um, mesquite, catclaw, cholla. Um, it is true desert. If you go north of Phoenix about two miles, or sorry, two hours, you'll come to Flagstaff and you'll be basically going uphill all the time. You'll, I think Phoenix is around 1,500 feet. Flagstaff is 7,000 feet. So you're up on, on the, you climb up the rim and you're on a large plateau. Um it's ponderosa pine, so big pine trees, mm-hmm. much cooler. Um, so in our race, you'll be passing through mostly ponderosa pine. High on the mountain, you'll go through spruce, spruce, and fir, and aspen, um, and then down um, the Babbitt Ranch area, which is the lowest point And of course. You're on a grassland, and there's and juniper trees. Um, much wide open. It's it's basically like looks like prairie prairie land.
1: So. Now now Ian, you've run hundred mile races. What would you say is more difficult, putting on a one hundred mile race or racing one?
5: Uh, putting one on definitely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the
5: stress is is huge. I was and I I know that you know people do this kind of stuff all the time, but this was the first time that I was up for forty one hours straight. I never hmm. slept, took a nap did anything, didn't close my eyes for 41 hours and that was that was really (laughs) interesting. I started bushes were coming, I thought the bushes were turning to to rabbits, (laughs) and I was out um, at one of the remote aid stations and coming back to the start line in Tucson and the sun was just coming out I was actually driving along the rim in the park, I had to come out, go through the national park so I was driving along the rim, I saw the sun coming up on the Grand Canyon, and I stopped at a four way stop sign. there was no one around, no other traffic, no cars around me i but I stopped. I pulled up to the stop sign, I stopped, and then I was there for like two minutes. I caught myself just like <laughs> staring <laughs> in the middle like, "Oh, I can go now Wait, <laughs> was, waiting
0: for that stop sign to turn green.
5: <laughs> yeah, I don't. That was the weirdest thing. I was like, "Oh, what am I doing? Yeah, so I got to this I got to the finish line, and I decided that. Hey, I wouldn't drive anymore, and if I had to
2: go somewhere, I'd have someone else drive me. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like being a being
1: zombie a myself. <laughs> and, and it doesn't happen without a lot of volunteers. Uh, you, I can. Uh, we, we've watched a lot of the races go on around here with NorCal ultras and Julie Fingar and her races. RDL was just this weekend, and and yes. we've all we've all seen the just the enthusiasm that volunteers come in and just. Participate at at such high levels, and and it's really about the trail community. Everybody working together, and it's it's nice to see.
5: Yeah, we we had about I I couldn't get exact numbers, but we had about a one to one ratio for a runner to volunteer, and that was that was great. We had about a hundred volunteers and just about a hundred runners when you include all the relay runners, and, and so that was great. We had um, Coconino Amateur Radio Club handled our radio operations and Coconino Sheriff's search and rescue, um, department. They were out on the course on horseback on ATV and on foot, um, for much of the night, much of the day, um, just patrolling and making sure people were, were okay. And, um, yeah, they, we didn't pay anyone anything to do that kind of stuff. And hopefully we can give them a donation down the road here. Once all the finances come in, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, yeah, you can't
1: do it without the help. Ian, yeah, they, they don't, don't they get to eat off the aid station tables?
5: <laughs> they do. We, yeah. <laughs> that's the great thing and I got. And they get a t shirt.
1: Yeah, I mean, t shirt and, and pictures to put on Facebook. Yeah, what more do you want? That's, that's the best part. And it looks like you have a belt buckle for the finishers. I saw that. That's, yes. uh, that's important. And if somebody wanted to figure out what this race looks like, how to sign up, where would they go?
5: Uh, you go to the Arizona Trail Association website, so, um, oh, my goodness. So, oh That's wow. okay. We'll, we'll, we'll link trail. it. org and then backslash Alter Run.
1: Yep, we'll find it. Scott will link it, and uh, we'll great. tweet it and do all the things we do uh, to let people know what's out there because it sounds like a great race where, as trail runners— are becoming more and more. There's more of us, and we're looking for places to go and races to get into. Um, this might be a great place to land. It sounds like a good, good first 100 too.
5: Is yeah, I, uh, think, it, I, I think it's good for a first timer.
1: What what time of the year is
0: next year going to be?
3: End of September.
0: Twenty seventh. 27th. 27th, Okay. Is it? Uh, do you know whether it's going to be considered a qualifier for Western states?
5: No. Um, I've tried several times, and um, the race isn't big enough, and and so we'll have to wait down the line, and I'll just keep pleading our case. But we are a UTMB qualifier.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. What we'll have to do is to let people drop down into the canyon and run back up in enough times where the group over there at Western States feels that it's, it's mm-hmm. tough enough and, and qualifies, so...
0: I don't yeah, know how many
5: maybe Hard Rock would jump on board, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: I, I'm curious because, like Don mentioned, uh, we just did the uh, Rio Del Lago 100 uh, this weekend. And of the 100 runners, I think there's about 100 starters, um, 50% of them, it was their first 100-mile race. What percentage of runners did you have that were running for the first time?
5: Ooh, that's a great question. I think we had um, four or five first-timers.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's Good. great. Yep. All right. Well, uh, any, any, anything else you want to cover about that race besides uh, it's going on next year, September 27th, and, and it's going to be better climate, and you're not going to have people shooting at you thinking you might be an elk. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's perfect. Thanks.
1: All right. We'll, we'll, send, we'll send some cocapellies out there so you can uh, dress your people in these performance-enhancing gear for your next race. So you could throw it awesome. in your swag bag. Can we do that, Scott? Heck yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure I cleared it with the, uh, the owner of these Coca-Pellas <laughs> before I start giving them away. Good. All right, Trail Runner Nation members, uh, I think we learned quite a bit. We learned about uh, what to wear on your head, on your torso, pelvis, and tights. Buy, buy some Vaseline. Buy some Vaseline. And we're always lucky to talk to Ian Torrance, who has uh, run more miles with a bib on than many of us have just run during training miles. So <laughs> we appreciate your wisdom and experience, Ian.
5: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: It's always fun. Go go to trailrunnernation.com. dot uh, com.
0: Check out all the forums there. I bet you there's a forum on mm-hmm. what to do during winter
1: training days. Absolutely. Um, if you're looking for a coach, Ian is available as a coach over at I Run, No, over at uh, Greg McMillan Running, correct? I know you have some articles McMillan over running at What's that, McMillan M- running, running, running Company? And yes. and you have some articles over there at I Run Far. Yes. Yes. Good. Well, I know I wasn't slipping too much there. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways to get in touch with Ian and definitely uh, a, a coach that can help you meet your goals.
3: Now go out and run. Ma. Going down highway Like a rocket Got a two town Now Can't stop it with the wheel in my hand As I stand on the floor of the board or this car on the road Got this woman in the back seat. See my wifey in the middle of the livery She saved me to this day, I don't know why She picked me up when I was down on the road